Our scripture reading today is selected verses from Daniel 5. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your th thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for you, and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make, be known, make known to him the interpretation. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which you do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence, the hand was sent and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, Mini, Mini, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mini, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Father, we love your word. Speak to us today uh, from it. Help us to be open to what interpretation of this you have given to our pastor grant. Um, help us to receive this story and um, keep these words close to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen and amen. Thank you, my pal. Appreciate it. What a terrible thing to hear. You have been weighed, you have been measured, and you have found, been found wanting. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Maybe you don't have to imagine. Have you ever been cut from a team where a coach had to look at you and go, look, you're just not good enough. 
Have you ever been turned down for a job where they said, look, you just don't have the qualification. You just can't do what we need you to do if you want this job. Have you ever been rejected in some way where somebody had to look at you and just go, you don't have what it takes. You have not gotten yourself to the point where, um, where you're fit for this. Now, can you imagine hearing that at the end of your life? Can you imagine hearing that from God? This is what Belshazzar is experiencing. It reminded me, like as I was, by the way, the best line of the day was <clears throat> Thomas Hugo, who is our drummer today and one of our shepherds, uh, who walked in and said, so we're going to be playing some rock music? <laughs> That's well done, father of two, you can tell. That's right. It reminded me of a trip to Universal Studios, this story uh, of the writing on the wall and what Belshazzar goes through in, in Daniel chapter 5. Uh, when I was a kid, we went to Universal Studios and I was allowed to get a, a present uh, from the gift shop because, you know, you spend hundreds of dollars on showing kids a good time and they pitch a fit until you buy them something at the gift shop. So my parents acquiesced to my whining, I'm sure. And, um, and I, my, the thing I brought home was this movie Rock. It was awesome. And I, I mean, it was great because you could try it. You could throw it at your sister and you couldn't get in trouble for it because it was made of foam rubber. It was just super light. But it looked totally great, right? So yeah, and we all know this. We have to suspend disbelief. We know that when like the, the rocks are falling on the, you know, adventurer in the movie or whatever, those aren't rocks. Those are foam rubber. Or now maybe they're CGI. There's actually nothing there actually at all. He's just you know, dodging, I don't even know, pretend things falling. But it reminded me of that rock because Belshazzar really feels like he has built a solid life. And I have two rocks on the stage today, just so we'll remind them, both of these rocks look, look outstanding. I, I had to ask for help with both of these. One of them because I don't have a fake plastic rock and one of them because what am I going to do? Carry this thing all the way in? No, Sam, that's a Sam job. Appreciate <laughs> Appreciate it, Sammy. Um, but from a distance, you might go, these are two very similar things. And yet this one, I struggle to pick up. This is a heavy rock. Oh my gosh. Pretend I'm strong and it wasn't that hard. But this one is plastic and hollow. What if we get to the end of our lives and we've been spending our whole lives trying to convince the world and ourselves too that we've been building things of weight, things of importance, just to hear there's nothing to it. I love that what God tells Belshazzar is not you've been a sinner. So have I, so have you, so has Daniel. No, rather it's in this life you've built nothing of substance. You've been weighed, you've been measured, and you've been found wanting. What a terrible thing to hear. We should spend some time thinking about Belshazzar's life so we don't make similar mistakes. And before we, we dig in, I need to say this. You know, the Bible clearly has like the, the rich king is the bad guy. You know, like the, over and over you kind of go, oh, well, look at this guy. 
But I want you to see that God has nothing to say about Belshazzar's wealth or even his position, really anything about his lifestyle. It's, it's, well, it's not true. There's some things about his lifestyle. But there's, there's, it's not like, hey, it's bad to be the king or it's bad to be wealthy. No, rather, it is true that you can be the richest among us or the poorest among us and still here. Like there's no honor in being poor any more than there's glory in being rich in God's eyes. You can live high on the hog in this life and here you know you've been found wanting on judgment day but you can also live like if you're following Jesus and as you follow Jesus he gives more more for you to steward and you end up having you know a nice car and a nice house you could it's not like that eliminates you but we need to look and go okay it's actually more difficult not difficult to understand but more um I don't know, complicated than that. It's actually that the wealth and power and prestige we build in this life means almost nothing, good or bad. Rather, Belshazzar, who has built this life that seems like everything is working for him, not only Belshazzar, but, but Babylon in general, seems like everything is going great. If you would ask anybody, you would say, that is a kingdom that is a rock, but really, it's got no substance. It's been weighed. It's been measured. It's got to go. The Bible is in many ways, you know, wealth and power neutral. The goal is not to be rich or poor. The goal is to not worship wealth or poverty. You with me? The goal is to build a life on eternal things. No matter what kind of car you drive or what your address is or your zip code. Because unless God builds the house, send the songs of ascent, we'll get there eventually. Unless God builds a house, the people who build it are building it in vain. Unless God builds your life, unless God builds your career, unless God builds your relationships and, and all the things that make up you and your life, unless those are built with eternal things, you're going to be found wanting. Because we seek first the kingdom of God and He adds the rest of our life. It's not about what Belshazzar in this world has or doesn't have. In fact, we would say Nebuchadnezzar, we saw his ark and him come to honor God as the king of heaven and understand his place in it. That while he is the king, it is Yahweh, it is the king of kings that, that governs all, that he has the eternal kingdom. And it's not going to matter whether you're rich or poor. And it's not going to matter if you had power or not. We will all stand before a holy, powerful God. The judge of the universe, the judge of every living soul, the judge of the quick and the dead, and will at that time realize, maybe for the first time, that we have had a life of no substance. Everybody told us we were doing great. Everybody told us that we were handsome and had a nice place and that our career was outstanding and people would ask us how we did it. Oh, it looks so good. But the question is not, how does your neighbor think your life is going. Rather, the question is, are you building a life that will stand a conversation with the divine ruler of the universe? Because 
let me tell you something that I think we should consider um, as part of this. So I'll get to that in a minute. Is the, the certainty of judgment. What we're getting in this passage is a glimpse in Belshazzar's life of an event that we will all see happen in our lives. We will all stand before the God of the universe. And we will see on what our life has been spent. Was it on meaningful things of substance or things that actually have no weight? Were we just stacking plastic rocks? Hebrews 9 reminds us that each person is appointed to die once and after that to face judgment. Like that's a time on the calendar and it can either be a time for us of well done my good and faithful servant or a time of what'd you bring? What'd you build? Did you do anything? I gave you 90 years. What'd you build? In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul um, talks, there's a New Testament analog to this. Paul um, is, is going to talk primarily to church leaders, but I wonder if I could just um, read a little bit from 1 Corinthians 3. I'll start in verse 11. It says, For now no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. See, we have all, if you're in this room, you've been given a legacy of faith in Jesus. That somewhere, somebody, even if it was just, even if it's just happening right now, somebody has declared to you the goodness of Jesus Christ, who he is, the king, the one we bow to, the one one we submit to, that we would deny ourselves and we would live for him. And that, for me, was a family legacy. And maybe it was for you too. Or maybe it wasn't a family legacy, but maybe it was a, a Sunday school teacher or a neighbor or somebody has laid a foundation that, of Christ in your life. And what you are doing from that moment on is building something on that foundation. Now, what kind of a structure is being built with the church universal? What kind of a structure is being built at Lighthouse Baptist? What, time, what kind of a structure is being built in the Combs family? What kind of structure is being built by me in my life? There can be no other foundation. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day. That Anytime you see that, Old Testament or New Testament, the day, this means the judgment of God. The day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. I want you to remember that. We're going to see some crazy imagery in the second half of of um, the, the book of Daniel as we go over the next several weeks, and we're going to see God is presented as fire. Because you could fool me, and you could fool your neighbor, and you're probably, I know I am, pretty good at even fooling the guy in the mirror. But God is a consuming fire. And it's better to humble ourselves and take a good look at what kind of life we're building now than get to that day and find out that it was all wood, hay, and stubble. This is analogous to wood, hay, and stubble. Oh, it looked good. What a structure. But it didn't have any weight. It didn't actually mean anything. What Belshazzar had built on a foundation had no weight to it. And... While that passage in 1 Corinthians most clearly kind of applies to church leaders, hey, church leaders, hey, shepherds and, and servant leaders, what kind, of a, what kind of a structure are we building on the foundation of Christ? But it's not only that. 
Belshazzar too had received Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. He had heard the stories. He calls Nebuchadnezzar his father. We talked about that last week. He's not his biological father, but he wants to set himself up as the rightful heir of all of Nebuchadnezzar's greatness. And it wasn't that long ago. He has heard the stories. He has received a foundation of, hey, I figured it out. The God, Daniel's God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, he is the most high God. And I am going to live my life submitting to him. This is what he had received. For the modern person, it might be that the things that are precious stones, the things that are precious metals that endure judgment, that make for a solid life, that they're not always the things we expect. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Store up treasures in, oh good, you read your Bible. Store up treasures in heaven, not on earth, where rust and moth destroy. And too many times we take that as like a heavenly layaway plan. Like have a bad life now, and so someday you can have a life that matters. And that's... Not it. Rather, it's that right now, you exist in two kingdoms, don't you? The kingdom of man. And you can build your life in the kingdom of man. And again, this is not about how big your pile is. It's not about what your paycheck is or how healthy your family is. It just has nothing to do with that. Rather, it's that right now, you can be building a structure in the kingdom of God. You live in the kingdom of man. You also live for those of us that are saved in the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, you know, it's things like forgiveness and generosity and love of neighbor and love of enemy. These are the things that build a good life. Now in the kingdom of man, what builds a good life? Well, handsome and amount of clicks and likes and, you know, probably money has something to do with it or influence. But those are just building things that don't last, then don't endure judgment. It isn't that this life doesn't matter. And too many times Christians act like that. I gave my life to Jesus when I was eight. I was actually six. My mom led me to the Lord in our spare bedroom. Um, after a Sunday school teacher told me that I was going to live forever somewhere, either heaven or hell. And I was like, well... <laughs> <laughs> that is the one time easiest decision. <laughs> so from six to when I die, should I just be hanging on? I'm just going to try to stay out of trouble, not sin too much. So I'm storing up things that matter someday. No, far from that. Rather, your life can matter right here. Your, ma your life can matter eternally right here. We could have a life of substance right now where we get to eternity and we still are acting kind of like us, where we grow a life that is so solid that we are fit for eternity. Or we could be building a life out of plastic rocks, out of foam rocks, out of things that are fake. So how did Belshazzar, if you'll 
Give me a few minutes. How did Belshazzar build a life without any substance? Let's use Belshazzar as a great reverse barometer, what not to do. I'd say the first thing is he had ignored God's work in the past. In verse 10, I should grab a Bible. In verse 10 of our story, the queen shows up. And if you're a careful reader, you go, well, hold it, time out. We've heard that Belshazzar had taken these vessels from the treasury that had started being stolen from the temple in Jerusalem, and he was partying with his nobles, but also with his wives and concubines. So who's the queen? If the wives and concubines have already been part of the drunken, raucous party, who is the queen? Well, there's a couple of options for this. Scholars will tell you it's one of two people. It's probably Nabonidus' wife. Nabonidus? That's what you're naming your next child. Um, Little Nabonidus Combs, wouldn't it be great? Um, But Nabonidus is actually Belshazzar's dad. You remember this from last week. Belshazzar um, is the the co-regent to the throne, and it's Nabonidus who's actually the king in Babylon, but he's out of town getting his tail kicked by um, Sirius somewhere else, by the Persians somewhere else. So maybe it's Belshazzar's mom who shows up. The other option might be that it's Nebuchadnezzar's wife. Most scholars are pretty convinced that um, we know that she was very important to him. He built gardens in her honor. He loved her a lot, and she outlived him by quite a while. So most people are pretty convinced that she's still around, and so this might be Nebuchadnezzar's wife who enters the room. And either way, man, isn't the message pretty clear? Hey, dummy, we've seen this before. I've seen exactly what you're doing. I've seen the, this, this ride from arrogance to God bringing you low. I've seen how hard the fall is, but you have forgotten this story. Has the king forgotten what this woman so clearly remembers? It might even be that Belshazzar's gods are not the same as Nebuchadnezzar's gods. He prefers a different part of the pantheon. So he feels so victorious over the old regime. Why would I learn a lesson from them? Do you remember being a teenager? We've all been through, well, I've got nothing to learn from the generation behind me. How do we so easily forget what God has done in history? How do we so easily forget what God has done in our own lives? When Daniel enters the story, the same thing happens. He reminds Belshazzar that God has proven himself before, not too long ago, and Belshazzar should know that. If you'll just kind of, we skipped uh, Susan, uh, I had Susan skip this part, but if if you've got your Bible opened up, uh, Daniel chapter 5, just start in verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said uh, before the king, let your gifts be for yourself. Daniel's an older guy at this point. He has just kind of had it. Can't you picture him just like, I just don't need to be third in command of anything. I don't need a purple robe. You're a joker. I don't want, like, forget it, man. Um, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing the king made known uh, to him the inter- and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. You should know this. It didn't come from Nebuchadnezzar. It came from God, which means it doesn't come from you either. 
And because of the greatness that he gave him, all people's nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. He had incredible power, but it was a gift. It wasn't from him. Verse 20, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. Belshazzar, if you are so hopped up on being the true heir to Nebuchadnezzar, then you have to be the heir of this story too. Nebuchadnezzar was great, but it was from God. And in his pride, he acted a fool and God had given him his reign and God took it away. God gives Belshazzar. Nebuchadnezzar was proud, Belshazzar. And God took it away, Belshazzar. But then he continues in the passage there and says, and then Nebuchadnezzar learned and a mind was given to him and he was restored. Belshazzar, this lesson has already been learned and it was passed down to you. Man, this is really a call. I always say there are a couple of ways to get wisdom. One, first of all, there's people that never learn from their mistakes. And I've got, you know, plenty of cheeseburgers in me to tell you I've I'm in this category in some parts of my life, right? As probably we all are. You make the mistake over and over and over. You have the consequences of it over and over and over, and you never learn. Well, that's somebody who's not wise. But there are other people who make mistakes or other parts of our lives where we make mistakes and we learn from them. You know, oh, I said that to this person. I hurt their feelings. I didn't like that. I'm not going to say that anymore. You learn. That's a way to grow wisdom. But the best way to grow wisdom is to learn from others. The best way is to know the story. In our lives, it's to know the scriptures and go, I'm not going to have to make these mistakes. Rather, I'm going to learn of God's greatness and of the consequences of pride. And I'm not going to make those mistakes. So along with this life of ignoring the past work of God, he uses Holy things is common. We talked about this a lot last week. I'm not going to re-preach that sermon. But it's very telling that, God, that Daniel points to this act. You remember how it goes? Uh, Belshazzar had been in this raucous party. The uh, Persians are at the gate. Like there's an enemy army at the gate banging on it. But he's so confident in the power of the wall of his city and the might of his reign that instead of doing anything about that, he just throws a party for his nobles to try to convince them everything's okay. And so they'll, you know, vote for him. Um, and as part of this, he gets the idea that he should go get the golden vessels that were stolen from God's temple in, uh, in Jerusalem and that they should party with those. We're going to drink wine out of these. And that's the context of the story we're hearing. That's where Susan picked up our story today. So it was that event that was the final straw. And Daniel points to that. I mean, the goblet might still be in Belshazzar's hand. And verse 23 says, uh, verse 23, 22 and you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, through, though you knew all of this. 
Here's 23. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone. Belshazzar, you have taken what is holy and used it in a way that is common. And again, I won't re-preach last week's sermon, but we are set apart to be holy unto God. Our mouths, our energy, our time is for the purpose of God's glory. And every good thing comes from God. Every trial is redeemed on the cross. Vengeance isn't ours, but it's His. And when we take that stuff into our hands, when we use our time as common or selfishly, when we use our mouths to build us up, to, to, to instead of glory, glorify God and build others up, we, we use it selfishly. When you, we use our time, our energy, and it's my career and my family and my, me, 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 we are using what is supposed to be holy as something that is common. In every bit the same way that Belshazzar did. We're communicating to God and to the rest of the world that what God calls holy, we disregard. That's not a life of substance. See, it's not so much that sin is bad, although sin is bad. Don't go tell your friends, my pastor said sin's not bad. But it's not just the moral piece of sin in our lives. It is that it is building a worthless life. It is building a life that does not stand up to the rigor of even human existence, much less the judgment of God. Living like life like only we matter. Like what we do doesn't matter. Like our sin doesn't matter. Like we don't matter to God or to our world. There's no substance in it. At the weight, at the end, there's no weight. It's just plastic rocks. The other thing that Belshazzar did, I just read to you from uh, the last line in verse 23. Not only did you take these these golden vessels and, and use them for common things, but you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which do not hear or see or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. So not only does he take holy things and use them as common, and not only has he ignored the lessons of his forefathers and God's work in his own family, in his own kingdom, but he has praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. That word, the word that's used here that says praise is the thing that Nebuchadnezzar does when he comes to a right understanding of God's greatness, that God has the eternal kingdom, and he doesn't. It says he praised Daniel's God. And that same kind of attention, that same kind of honor, that same kind of of worship Belshazzar is attributing to false gods made of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. First, this is a list of created things. Romans says one way we dehumanize ourselves is that we worship the creation instead of the creator. 
But the thing about created things, whether it's natural things like gold and silver or whether it's like the statues that we craft with our own hands, is that we're always in charge. It's not really that thing we're worshiping. It's us. It's ourselves. We can be master of land. We can be master of trees. We can be the master of the ocean. But you submit to God. So you can praise the gods of this world, whether it's money or popularity or celebrity or sex or success. You can even submit to them. You can worship them. You can praise them. And let's be honest, in some ways, at least at first, they come through. It's not like those things don't feel good. It's not like success doesn't feel good for a time. It's not that money's not nice to have. It's not that sex isn't fun. It's not that success isn't, you know, whatever. Popularity makes you feel good at first. But that's when the hand starts writing on the wall. When you take your eyes off the living God and instead start to worship created stuff, stuff of our own making. And again, it's not just that it's bad, it's that it's meaningless. It doesn't work. Daniel says about these guys, they don't see, they don't hear, and they don't know. This isn't about a competition between gods. Daniel isn't team Yahweh and Belshazzar's team Bell or something. No, this is about the profound inability of anything or anyone other than the living God, other than the living God, especially Jesus Christ, his son, to effectively care or provide or save us from the things that actually endanger our heart. So many, even Christians, talk like faith in Jesus is just one way of seeing the world, like it's a philosophical perspective, like it's a faith uh, among other faiths, but that's not true. Rather, it's an understanding that building a life on anything except the risen Savior is just a life that does not hold any weight. None of that stuff, nothing else that we would worship sees or lives or hears or knows. It is just Jesus. In Christ, you can build a solid life, build a life on anything else, and it is just building a life of plastic rocks. You know, there's going to come a time when we stand before the judge of the universe, but it's not only that. Maybe you have some experience with, man, I built my life on my career, but then when challenges really came in my life, when life really got hard, it crumbled. The things that I thought were going to be so solid, the things I had given so much time to, so much energy to, so much of myself to, not only do they not stand up to judgment, they don't even stand up to grief or sorrow. Or tragedy. You know, I'll spend more time in the coming weeks, but I'd also like to point out that this list of things, gold, silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, it roughly corresponds to Nebuchadnezzar's statue from chapter 2. That this is what the kingdoms of man are built on. 
The kingdoms of man are built on money and power and land and gold and silver and whatever. And I think we're supposed to get the point by this time in the book that we not only recognize this is a list of building materials for false gods, but these are building materials for kingdoms that God will eventually destroy. What are you giving your life to? God is a consuming fire. You'll stand before Him. We see some of the consequences of this life. First of all, um, we look back in the chapter a little bit and we see the consequences of this life are, are fear. Oh, Belshazzar is so big and tough. Oh, Belshazzar is high on the hog. He's, he's living life and pouring wine and got all of the things that the world could possibly give him. And then verse 6, he sees the writing on the wall. What happens is he comes in contact with the power of God. And then it says, Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way. His knees knocked together. That is hard to translate. It gets translated lots of ways. The joints of his hips gave way, so maybe he collapsed. If this was youth group, I'd say, I think he pooped himself. If you were going to describe that, this is how you would do it. Because you can feel so tough. And you can feel like the king of your world. And you can feel like every decision you make is great. And you can go, look at my life. I'm obviously right. Look at all this stuff and all these people that think I'm awesome. But you come into grips with the power of God and all of a sudden, the joints of your hips give way. This is what happens when puffed up pride meets the power of God. This is not a theory. This is just a fact. You know, Psalm, Psalm 130 tells us, Oh, if you, O oh Lord, kept a record of sins, O oh Lord, who could stand? You, you know, we have, we have records in Scripture of saints of godly people who came in contact with God and it wasn't fear but it was humility but it was glory that they experienced build your life in such a way that when you see God face to face you fall at his feet with tears of joy instead of the joints of your hips given away this is what happens when you see the power of God there are many arrogant people who have seemed so confident but later crumbled when life proved too difficult. You know, I did. I worked with the Celebrate Recovery Group for a while, and, you know, I, I, I thought it was great. And the thing about overcoming addiction is the first thing you have to realize is that your life is unmanageable by yourself. Hey, guys, get there. I don't know what you're struggling with, but get to the point where you go, my life is more than I can handle. When a personal economic crisis happens, when personal tragedy shows up, when the consequences of sin finally show up, those are many times the time you find out whether or not you've built a life solid on the things of God or just been building with plastic rocks. Not only fear, but dysfunction is a consequence of this. 
When the writing on the wall happens, Belshazzar has no tools in his bag to turn to. He has spent a lifetime of ignoring God, of ignoring Daniel, God's prophet, and so he has no place to turn besides the places he has always turned. By this time in the book, when you read this and it goes, he called in the magicians and, and the astrologers, don't you go, what a dummy. These guys have never done anything in this book except be confused. But when that's all you've done your whole life, you have no other option. And not only that, but he goes, hey, if anybody can tell me what the writing on the wall means, I'll make him third in command and I'll give him purple and dripping and gold. And you go, dude, the only thing obvious right now is that that stuff doesn't work. To be bribing people with more of what he's got? The dude who just fell down and messed himself? He's, he's going to give us more? But that's all he has. It's a very sad story. He has been leaning on worldly things his whole life, and it's all he has in his tool bag when tragedy comes. It's like he stands up and goes, I will load you up with plastic rocks if you will just help me now. Ecclesiastes 12 says, Remember your creator in the days of your youth. And look, I don't know how much youth you have, but however much you have, take heed. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth before evil days come. Are evil days coming? Is there a family that avoids tragedy? I haven't seen one. Whether it's flood, fire, disease, sin, is there, are any of us getting out of this unscathed? Then maybe we should be building lives that can endure flood, fire, tragedy, and illness. Of course, God can save the most unrepentant sinner. Turn to the Lord at the moment of your death. The thief on the cross is, is a great story, but at the same time, if you're in a time of ease, of comfort, of victory, these are the times to be learning to praise God and God alone. To build on a foundation of God and God alone. Because for Belshazzar, it's too late to learn. It's judgment day. And that's a sobering truth. And if I might stand on the same soapbox I always stand on, this is a sobering truth that is a wonderful compulsion to the spiritual disciplines. Learn to give. Be generous now, because someday you might not have a paycheck, and you're going to need to be generous then. You're going to have to have learned God's economy then. Like, um, learn to serve now, because there might come a day when all of the people who thought you were so awesome turn their back on you. It could happen. It's happened to people cooler than you. Learn to have a deep devotional relationship with God now. Learn to fast. Learn to pray. Learn the, silent, learn the, the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude. I actually saw this thing on Apple News. Somebody else forced me. I wouldn't read Apple News. Um, but uh, it said that the newest trend is called silent walking, it's where you just walk without listening to anything. And I was like, you mean going for a walk? <laughs> Get on the train, man. It's going to see you're not, you're, not, you're not out of fashion. Yeah. Just go for a walk. Learn to have depth of relationship with God now because there might come a time when God's all you have. 
And then you will find out whether or not your life was built on something solid that you can count on or whether it's just plastic rocks that anybody could throw around. Finally, this kind of life leads to failure. Not only is Belshazzar's failure complete, but it's public. The kingdom of Babylon is lost on his watch. Persia is going to get into the city and take it over this very night. It's the, the part, the very last several verses, couple verses in, in our chapter tells the story of Darius just coming in and, and taking over. Lots of loss of life, lots of loss of power. And it's an amazing story. Uh, you military guys, if you haven't studied it, it's awesome. It's, uh, the story is that um, Darius, the general for uh, Persia, actually diverted the Euphrates. Like the Euphrates went under this big, huge wall, and so nobody could get in any way. So he just built canals and diverted the Euphrates and just walked in with tons and tons of soldiers while Belshazzar's partying and trying to figure out what the writing on the wall means, and they show up, poke, poke, we're done here. And the Bible never tells the story of how Belshazzar lost a military campaign. And you can take this or not, but the Bible really never tells the story of a general getting outsmarted by another general. Rather, it's always the failure came because you didn't honor God. It's never you got tricked by a better military mind. It isn't that Belshazzar's been outsmarted by a more clever military leader in Darius, but it's simply that he has been weighed, he has been measured, and he has been found wanting. So we shouldn't make the mistake of thinking that salvation lies in our good deeds. It's certainly not that our good deeds and our bad deeds will be put on a scale at the end of time. We are counting on God's grace. I would, I don't know about you, that would be an ugly, an, an, an ugly moment for me if I was counting on my good works versus my evil deeds. But we're counting on God's grace and God's grace alone for our salvation. This morning, we're not talking as much about salvation as what kind of life you're building. Each of us are building lives. You get 24 hours tomorrow. I don't know how many breasts that is, but it's probably the same as, about the same as today. You're going to get your paycheck when you get it. And you're leaving legacies. We're building lives. We're, people are paying attention. We're having an impact on our world. We're maturing in one direction or another. And the truth is that you're growing and maturing either on the solid rock of Christ or you're just stacking plastic rocks. There's trouble coming. I'm not a doomsday prophet. I'm not a prophet of any kind, depending on how you define the word prophet in the Scriptures. But um, certainly not a predictive prophet. I don't know what's going to happen in your life or mine but I am a pretty good observer and I know that no life goes without tragedy. And I also know that it is appointed for you and me to die once and then to stand before judgment. And the story of Belshazzar is an intense reminder that that 
moment comes quickly without warning many times. And when it comes, it's final. What kind of life are you building tomorrow? Plastic rocks or solid lives on Christ? Let me pray. God, truthfully, I'm just reminded that um, building with plastic rocks is easier. It takes less obedience. It takes less sacrifice. I can feel, uh, I can look good in other people's eyes easier. We're building a solid life of discipleship, a solid life of maturity in you. It's a longer, it's a longer game. It's a, it's a harder thing. Self-denial is a daily um, decision. But God, for me and for my family and for these people here that I love, Lord, I desire that we would have lives that are able to withstand the ups and downs and tragedies of this life and certainly lives that are able to stand in your grace and your forgiveness and your redemption, not only here but on Judgment Day too. Lord, you are consuming fire and as our works, as the way we live our lives is put under that microscope, microscope. Really, it's just the truth being seen in broad daylight. Lord, I pray that you would lead us to lives that are made of good things. Lord, I know as I've studied this passage, there have been, you've dealt with me. There have been things in my life that I've thought, oh man, I need to repent of that. And I'm so glad for your, your, your free grace that is always willing to hear me say I'm sorry, God, and that forgiveness is fresh and forgiveness is, is readily available. And God, if there's people in the room who go, man, I need to start building better things, Lord, would you help? Would you be our present Savior? And God, would you fill our hearts with the joy of forgiveness? And God, teach us to live lives that not only are good for us, but are helpful for other people too. I love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand up? We will end our service as we should begin and end every day, singing of the glory of God.